Hello and welcome to New Business Paradigms. I'm Matt Renner, the Executive Director of the World Business Academy, and I'm here with Ronaldo Brudico, the Academy's President and Founder. The World Business Academy is a nonprofit think tank and action incubator dedicated to transforming the consciousness of business leaders, business students, and the public at large in order to inspire business to take responsibility for the whole of society. We are recording the show on Saturday, September 17th, 2016. This date is important because of the rapid pace of change in world events and especially in American politics. We're going to start the show with a rundown of many of our usual topics, including an outlook on some key commodities and the health of the American and global economies. But then we're going to do something different and directly address the political situation that could fundamentally transform the world. We are at a crossroads, and this is too important a moment to, do, to be anything but clear-eyed and bold about it. Yes, we're talking about the American presidential election between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. So, Ronaldo, let's start with the show with the economic news and near-term outlook, and then we'll move on to politics. Yeah, great. Thanks, Matt. And it's, it's, um, there's a lot of economic news to, to, to talk about, frankly. It's, 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 it's wonderful. Um, I actually said frankly. That's interesting. That's a new <laughs> word. It's a, that's a contraction of frankly and actually. Anyway, um, let's start with a call I got from a very good friend of mine who is, uh, you should ex- forgive the expression, one of the denizens of Wall Street. He, he is a man of the street, as they say. Uh, he lives there, he eats it, breathes it, sleeps it, and uh, it's his life. He's done very well at it. He's uh, been very successful for a number of years, and he's very well regarded by other people in Wall Street. And when he called me, and his name, I'm going to leave his name out just as he hasn't given me permission to mention the call. Um, he called me and he said, what do you make of what just happened this last week on, on, on Wall Street? Why did we have three, I mean, how do you figure these three days, I guess it was Tuesday, uh, Thursday and Friday, where, where we had these gyrations in the Dow. And, you know, it dropped, and then it came back up, and then it dropped, came back up. What's that about? Why would those three days have happened? And um, uh, I said, well, there's, there's there's a couple of reasons, I think, that it's happening. And, and, and he heard my answer and said, gee, I, no one's ever explained that. I haven't heard that on Wall Street, so uh, I really appreciate you filling me in on that. I said, well, here's what I want people to know who, if they're not on Wall Street, like you are, uh, here's what I want people to know. I want them to know that those swings have nothing to do with the fundamental economy. In the case of last week, what those swings were probably about, most likely about, was that for a moment of panic, Wall Street thought, oh my God, Trump could win. Why did they think that? Well, as some of you may know, starting on Monday of last week, uh, the Breitbart organization put out a series of tweets and, and, and stories about Hillary having Parkinson's disease, and that the DNC was in a, a crisis mode uh, to figure out what to do with their candidate who clearly couldn't get elected president if she had Parkinson's disease. Um, and of course, it wasn't true, which almost everything from Breitbart isn't true, but, you know, even though they control, and that's, that's a whole other thing. We'll come back to Breitbart and Trump later, but it wasn't true. Um, and of course, we now know for a fact it was pneumonia, and we know how it was treated, and we've now seen her back in the camp train trail. So the health issue is going to go away. That's not an issue. What's troubling is that the Wall Street people realize that if Trump were going to be elected president of the United States, it would crater the market. In fact, it would crater the economy. I'll get back to that later. I'm not going to discuss it right this second. But what I said to that individual, and which I would say to the listeners today, everything in the fundamentals of this economy, which I'm about to touch on, are going in the right direction. In fact, surprisingly good directions. And um, absent the political issue we'll discuss at the end of the hour, 
Uh, I'm looking at just every single statistic is looking just nothing but roses right now. Uh, and as you know, um, Matt, because you were at the end of that call, I called my dear friend Hazel Henderson, who's one of the most gifted economists in the world and has been for, you know, 30 years. And I wanted to hear her take on some of these same issues. And I was delighted to hear that her take on it is identical to my take. So I feel really comfortable quoting Hazel because I know she agrees with this. And for those of you who don't know her work, um, I urge you to look at it. And you might want to go to her website, ethicmark.org. Dot com. Uh, so here's what we got. We've got the first increase in wages on an aggregate level since probably 2007. And that was an increase of 5.2%, which was delightful. That's a big number jump. No one would have thought that was coming except us. Because we keep talking about how the economy's doing well. Everybody else says, well, it's not doing that well, except the numbers now prove it was doing that well. And that was from the Census Bureau. So the Census Bureau absolutely has no ax to grind in any direction. It's a permanent bureaucracy. The head of it doesn't even come and go because it's a statistical agency. So there's no question that's real data. Well, there's an interesting thing embedded in that. Two things I want to tell people about. Number one, what's interesting is one of the reasons that went up by 5.2% is because the cost of living went down. If, if, if oil had not fallen to where it is today and what we've been predicting would happen, that number of 5.2 would have been closer to 3.1, 3.2. So a couple of points came directly from people having more money, more jingle in their jeans as a result of not having to put it in the gas tank. That's huge. We've been talking about that for months, and I'll get to oil in a second, but that has been a huge factor. Well, that won't repeat. In other words, that lift that's now been codified in that 5.2 jump won't lift again because there isn't a similar downturn of oil prices that can occur. So with oil today probably around $48 a barrel, West Texas Intermediate, um, you know, even if it drops back down to 40, it won't have that kind of an impact. It's that it drops so precipitously has had that impact. Now that's one data point. So wages up first time, is it going to continue? Absolutely. Uh, in fact, the worst part of the recessions behind us, which is that for all of these months now, since 20, well, since 2008, I believe, uh, the private sector, meaning corporations, have been hiring and hiring and hiring. But the public sector has been laying off, laying off, laying off. Now, public sector jobs tend to be middle-income jobs. So those are engineers and government jobs. Those are teachers. Those are policemen. Those are firemen. Those are um, government administrators. Those are Department of Motor Vehicle people. I mean, these are people who really had been the bedrock of the middle class in this country, and they all got just slammed in 2007, 2008, and they have not been rehiring until recently. So what I'm now seeing, just I started seeing it last week, actually, the statistics coming in on public sector hiring are encouraging, meaning they slowly were starting to creep up about, about starting six, nine months ago. But in the last two weeks, I see a real spurt happening. So now that there's a surplus at virtually well, most government levels, except for places like Kansas, where Brownbeck committed economic suicide by reducing the taxes of his wealthy people and then increasing social services. I mean, I mean Brownbeck has got to be one of the, the Looney Tune governors of all time. Uh, he, although he, he doesn't compare with the governor of Kentucky, he's in a category of his own, who, who, who is to the right of Mitch McConnell and who McConnell calls a raving idiot. But apart from Kentucky, I would put Brownbeck up there in that category of governors who are really loop to loop. I mean, well, I, maybe Maine too, but yeah, we don't have to. Well, Maine is, that's more of a rope-a-dope. <laughs> right. The guy right. in Maine is just doesn't know what he's doing. But, but, but Brownback thought he was economically sophisticated right. and he's destroyed the economy of the state of Kansas. Yeah. And 
So I want where I want to go with this comment is the now public sector hiring, which is coming about to take the state of California, uh, for example, where you've got you know such an enormous surplus in the budget, even after setting aside reserves, that it's it's an embarrassment of riches. I mean, Brown is almost like I don't know where to spend it all, and and he won't because it's going to increase again next year. So what's happening is they're allowing less pressure on the public sector. You have, you have for example, an initiative in California where we're now going to give ourselves the right to um, spend more money on education finally, which I think is fabulous. Um, but that, that impact um, of public sector hiring is going to put pressure on wages because we're already virtually at full unemployment, full employment, meaning... Um, you can't get much lower than 5.2% because that's called structural, meaning you, in an economy as complex as ours, there's always, you know, 4 to 6% of the people are swashing, you know, washing along between the people who got hired, the people who just lost their jobs, the people who got rehired, and then there's people who are in longer-term training. And so there's a lot of reasons why you have a certain percentage of unemployment that simply can't be eliminated because it's the, it's, it's, it's the friction in the system, if you will. But... That since we're at full employment, meaning everybody who wants a full-time job has one pretty much, that means that we have a situation where increased hiring in the public sector will drive the cost of wages up. Now, I, I reported something, I think I reported on this show two months ago, where I went by a, a very famous local hamburger chain here in California called Hamburger Habit, really well-run little chain, and I saw on the door, like two months ago, a sign that said, now hiring... And they had the amount on the on the window, uh, immediate starting at ten dollars an hour, uh, with positions up to uh, twelve fifty an hour. That sign was two months ago. Well, Matt, I was at the same restaurant. Uh, they do one of my favorite salads there, by the way. I don't let myself eat burgers, though I love them. <laughs> um, anyway, I, I saw the sign, and the sign gets the sign reads now: starting salary twelve fifty, jobs up to sixteen fifty. Nice. So what it now? So if, if you're let's say you're uh, flipping burgers at McDonald's, and you see you can go to Hamburger Habit down the street, Habit, you go, hey, why would I be making nine dollars at McDonald's when I can make twelve fifty starting at Hamburger Habit, and I got sixteen as a target? So all of a sudden you're going to see pressure now on the McDonald's, if you will, of this world to match the independent chains because those independent chains are hiring people. So uh, so you're saying that public sector hiring is going to be essentially uh, uh, push push wages even further across yes, that you're, middle you're, class. We're going, and I've said this before, we're going into wage pr- push inflation soon. Now, th- that's really great news. Now, I want to tie that to something else. There was an, there was an article I, I mentioned to you that came out September 7th in USA Today. And what it was talking about is how bad U.S. wages have risen relative to the uh, wages of other developed countries in the period of twenty of 2008 to 2016, and they listed all 20 G20 countries, okay? But just to give you some idea, wage growth in 2008 to 2016 in Canada was 7.2%, France 5.2%, Germany 5%, Korea 4.8%, Italy 2.4%, United Kingdom went backwards because they're silly, but you know, and the U.S. went backwards by 3.1%, the worst performer, meaning people made less in 2016 than they made in 2008. Now with this new data, which we just got, It'll bring the U.S. up, but it still isn't at the top of the pack. And as I said, a couple of points of the U.S. number had to do with the drop in the price of oil. So what I'm seeing is a continuing slow build in wages, which is what's angering the American electorate, 
but Israel. And as that pushes up, it's going to create demand. So if I can get a job working for DMV for $18 an hour and they're hiring again, why would I work at Hamburger Habit for 16 See how so everything starts to rise. Now, when you add into that, something we've been talking about on the show for more than a year now, when you add to it the rise in minimum wage to $15 in many jurisdictions, Seattle, for example, um, when, you, when you have the step rises that are going on in minimum wage, when you have large companies like Walmart now voluntarily raising $9, $10 an hour, um, to two nine and $10 an hour, uh, what you're going to see is a wage push inflation, meaning people are going to be getting more and more money Companies are going to be paying more in wages, which is a good thing, because that means it's going to get distributed out to the middle class and below. And the cost of the goods and services that you pay for will have to go up to make good for those additional uh, wages. Is that a bad thing? Absolutely not. It's a great thing, because a rising tide carries all ships. So ultimately, it will even raise, raise the dividends to the people who own those companies, in the short term, it will put a dividend squeeze on or put a, a cash flow squeeze, a profitability squeeze. But at the end of the day, that rising trend, if properly managed by the Fed, which I think they're doing a good job managing, has a real possibility of creating wage price inflation. So I'm now looking, and I'm going to make the assumption Hillary's elected president, because as you'll see later, there's all bets off of it's Trump. Um, if Hillary's elected president, you're going to see inflationary pressures in this economy by the first quarter next year. If not sooner, let me let me pause you there because I think that's really important. Uh, the the explanation you just had and that article that you had there. Uh, so, since two thousand eight, the United States wages in the United States have actually gone down by three point one percent on right. average. Correct. Compared to other countries who had similar recessions, but their wages maintained or grew uh, in the countries you named. So this is the missing piece of the puzzle in the theory that rising tides lift all boats, right? Because the actual financial sector uh, gains came back after the 2008 crash pretty relatively quickly. And the stock market came back uh, re- relatively quickly. Yeah, 2009 stock market. We've been on a rise. Since, the, bull, the bull's been running since 2009. So we're s- seven years behind that. Now we're finally seeing the wage yeah, growth. Or because, six of, in 2015. because of the political resistance in the Republican Party to let the Democrats create a growing economy because they were afraid if they did that, that Obama would get elected a second term. Now, it didn't work. He got elected anyway. But that was the whole gambit. That's what Mitch McConnell meant when he said our job was to stop the president no matter what in January 2000. So we'll, we'll get back to this later. But my question is, and I think you already mentioned it, what, what, we, what we're due for is a lot of wage growth, potentially, if yes. that, if that it's rebalances. Happening. It's okay. happening. And, and by the way, I, just, I want to make two numbers clear because people need to – don't confuse us, folks. When I said we've gone down 3.1% in the period of 2008 to 2016, that's a real number. The 5.2% increase we spoke about is just how much better this year over last year. That doesn't bring the 3.1% down right. to, to maybe so, below so 2.9. So 2015 was Three. that 5.2% increase. Yes. And I, so what we're saying is that that 3.1% is still accurate. Because it's an eight-year period. But we're a year into a huge rebound. You got, got it. it. And, and, and what we've been saying on this show is the private sector is way more doing its job. It's carrying all the, the water. The public sector's got to start hiring. When the public sector starts hiring, we come out of this mess. Right. And um, the other thing we've been saying, which I'm sure is going to happen, you know, come heck or high water, if Hillary's elected, you're going to see a lot of, of spending on infrastructure because everybody gets they have to do it, including the Republicans in Congress. 
So, and you got the pressure from Bernie and Elizabeth Warren. So what I'm looking at, and, and, I, and are we going to talk about banks at all? And what's we, going on with we banks? can do that now. I don't want to talk about oil and gold, too. Those, those are the three. Okay. Well, on the bank side, I think that the, um, again, assuming a Clinton victory, you're going to see serious bank reform. I mean, serious bank reform. One of the reasons is, you take the oil and gas sector. When the oil and gas sector got whacked like it did, like it did, and with all those bankruptcies and all the, the loss of cash, it caused the oil and gas sector to cut back on its lobbying. It caused them to cut back on its advertising. So the result is there's less money to less money to corrupt the political system. So what happens is that it's a it's like a, it's a spiral. So as they start losing money because they're not selling, they're not being able to charge these egregious profits. Then they don't have enough money to keep all that egregious platoons and armies of lawyers and lobbyists, which doesn't give them all the special treatment they're getting still, but it reduces it going forward. So that causes a further contraction of their political power and further, therefore, contraction of their economic power, because economic power always converts to political power. Always. No exceptions. Now, um, the question becomes, then, if that same thing starts to happen in other sectors of the economy, whoa, Katie, bar the door, because you'll unleash tremendous buying power. So remember what I said a minute ago about... Part of it is the drop in the gas prices is a huge factor. Well, watch what happens to big pharma. We, we could take 40%, literally, 40% off the cost of every prescription drug in America, and we'd only be paying at that point what Germany pays for the same drugs. 40%. Now, you know what 40% of the pharmacological budget of America is? You're talking trillions. And that money now doesn't get spent by either the government form insurance or private insurance carriers or individuals and their co-pays. So, we, I mean, I could go on in this at some length. My point is that the impact of the continuing cure of the U.S. economy, because the tough stuff is behind us, will continue to accelerate going forward, and the government will be do, able to do less and less to stop it. And frankly, I think for political reasons, they'll do more to help it. I, I, I love to point out to people that of the six congressmen who were up for, um, who were primaried by their own primary, Two were under indictment. They lost. But the only sitting congressman in America, the only one who was primary and who lost, was the congressman from Kansas, who was the guy who promoted basically Brownbeck's economic theory, and he was a right-wing Tea Party person. He was defeated in a primary by the more centrist Republican. That is a huge turning because it means that the Republicans left in Congress will go, oops, you can get primary from either direction. Maybe we better be reasonable. And what I think you're going to see is after this election's over, the Republicans are going to start getting reasonable. They're not going to continue to say, we're not going to fund Zika. That's crazy. They're not going to say, we're going to put the, con- the United States um, on hold while we fight about whether or not we can do another budget. Uh, you're going to see spending levels go up. First in the military, by the way, because that's where the power is. But it's going to spread to all the other sectors. So I'm really excited about where the economy is going, assuming we survive this current election. So assuming all those things, where would you say, what do you see on the oil prices? They're going to stay stagnant and low and also on, on gold. Yeah, what I've been saying all along about oil is still the truth, which is that it's I, the best it could possibly do would be $65 a barrel. I don't see that happening. I've been saying for a long time, I think it's going to stay under 50. It stayed under 50. It made a run to... To 50, 51, 52, we got bounced back down. The Saudis started playing footsies with the Russians. They couldn't drive the price up. I, the, the fundamentals are too strong. The world is learning how to live on oil, to depend less and less on oil every day. The Middle East is becoming more unstable every day. 
New uh, oils coming online. New oils coming online from places like Iraq, actually, uh, from Iran. Uh, new oil is uh, new oil that's pumpable has just been discovered in the United States. Uh, so I, I I don't see oil uh, spending the kind of money it needs to get reserves out of deep wells, say off the coast of Brazil. So you can forget about seventeen thousand foot wells; they ain't going to happen anymore. It's too expensive because you can't get it. It's going you'd have to sell it for a hundred dollars a barrel, and that's not going to happen ever again because there's nothing that will keep the supply going down over time. And since the demand, the aggregate demand will fall over time, it's in, it's in, it's inconceivable to me. Other than a, you know, some some spike, let's say somebody um, dropped a nuclear bomb on Kuwait, or somebody set the oil fire a field fire in, in Saudi Arabia, you, you could have a temporary dislocation, but it's only going to be temporary. And all that will do is further accelerate the drive. I mean, you, I, I was re- sharing with you this morning. I was so excited because. Uh, General Motors, which I think is a great company. By the way, I, I think General Motors and Ford are two great companies to buy their stock. I mean, I just love what they do. Uh, but I, I love now. They were right. basket cases before. But General Motors announced that the range, the range of its electric car, the Bolt, which comes out for less than $40,000, about $37,000, and that's before tax credits, uh, is going to have a range larger than the Tesla. It's a 235-mile range for a $37,000 car. Um, the There's a... Um, there's a company that just got the rights to put charging stations up and down five. And all the charging stations are fueled with green energy. Uh, how they do it's a very interesting conversation. Um, you, you've got um, a new stock exchange that's just been born in the last two months, which is not going to permit program trading, which is the biggest number one thing wrong with the stock market. People want, we can talk. In fact, we should talk about program trading. Um, so all those reasons um, demand will continue to go down in fact it's gone down already as a percentage of population and now you're going to see it start to go down in total demand and as it does supply remains constant you got a you got a, a formula for where we will see oil at forty dollars a share forty dollars a barrel before you see it at 60 in my humble opinion and what do you think about gold and by the way we should also talk about all the money they're going to spend to like the $40 billion price tag you and I were talking about earlier to dis- dismantle the rigs in the Gulf, which they don't have that $40 billion. And frankly, a huge number of the companies that owe that money are either broke or about to go broke. Well, that's so we had a thing. big, yeah. big infrastructure issue there. We should go into the oil bubble in general, the kind of carbon bubble yeah. at, on the next show, I think. Yeah, I think and, and you know what I've been saying is that it's, it's, gonna be, it's, it's been clear to us for a number of years now. Uh, and and, and it, before the Rolling Stone article came out, on um, the fact that you would never be able to sell all the oil already, the quote proven reserves. I continue to say publicly for the last two, three years, half of what's on the oil company's balance sheets is water, not oil. Meaning it is oil that cannot be sold, cannot be drilled and sold, which means the balance sheets of those companies are fraudulent. And by the way, at some point soon, the SEC is going to have to look at that because what they're doing is pretending that the oil in the ground that are there is the reserves can be economically bought, brought to the surface and sold for a profit. And that is no longer true. It can't be sold because it's we're past that point. Anyway, I, I love this topic. I'd love to talk about it next time. Okay, so gold, quickly. Gold. So gold, uh, you know, I told people last time, it's time to have a small amount of gold in your portfolio. Uh, wage push inflation is what I'm looking at. The other reason to have gold, which we'll talk about in the last part of the hour, is um, because, um, God forbid, Trump is elected, um, you want gold. 
you want and you want a lot of gold. You won't want any stocks and you won't want any bonds. You're going to need gold. You're going to be wearing it around your neck or in your pockets because that's going to be the currency. Uh, before we move on to the uh, presidential election, Ronaldo, do you want to talk quickly about the Monsanto and Bear? Yeah, I'm really happy about that one because, you know, I'm, I'm really... You're one I'm, of the few people I've heard that's optimistic about this merger, so I'd love to hear why. Okay, three reasons. Um, first of all, Monsanto has had an, un, an inappropriate relationship with the executive branch of government in the United States for the last 20 years. The revolving door between the agricultural giant Monsanto and who's advising the president and the key government agencies like uh, FDA and others, has been overly weighted by Monsanto because they knew if they could put their people in there, they could control the government's policies and Monsanto could get powerful and rich. Uh, it, it's, it's shocking how even smart people like Obama have not paid attention to it. His principal agriculture advisor was from Monsanto, as you know. Um, and so they built up this whole business on gliophosphate on the lie that it would be cheaper to grow crops with gliophosphate, uh, sometimes referred to as Roundup, because it would kill all the pests and it would be cheap to do it and then the corn would be better and the soybeans would be better. And we got to the point in this country where I think about, I'm going to say 97% of the corn, 95% of the soybeans have been grown with pesticides and GMOs. Well, what's happened, uh, first first thing that's happened is that the uh, the, the GMOs are failing, meaning meaning that the Roundup isn't, isn't working, killing all the pests. And so farmers are having to add a whole bunch of other chemicals. And all of a sudden, and the prices have gone up dramatically. So first reason I'm happy about the merger is because Monsanto is going to lose its control over the American government because you're not going to be able to put Germans in and out of the American government. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Bayer won't have the political influence of Monsanto, which is great because then this country will finally begin to do its job on GMOs, which Europe is already doing. Number two... As I just alluded to, I'm ecstatic over the fact that the farmers are realizing that GMOs are a bad deal for them. And for the last two years, the total amount of crops planted with GMOs has going, gone down. And the projection is it will continue to go down. So crop prices are lower. Yields are not, uh, even though the yields are high, the total dollars for the farmer are going down. They can't afford, in effect, $14 an acre just for chemicals. And that's if everything goes right. It's more if they don't go right. And that's when, you know, you know, it's corn is three and a half, three fifty a bushel of that. So so what you're talking about is a, a sea change in the way farmers approach the use of pesticides, not because they're afraid of poisoning America, which they should be, but because the GMO thing isn't working. Right. So and Bayer knows that. Yeah. Now the third reason is because Bayer's in Germany and Germany's in Europe. And Europe already has good GMO labeling requirements. So what I'm projecting will happen is that Bayer will continue to see those GMO labeling requirements in this country. Bayer has some strategy for how to milk the $57 billion it's paying for Monsanto out of Monsanto. I don't know what that is. That could be a liquidation premium. I don't know. But for whatever reason, and Bayer wants to eliminate a competitor because the market's shrinking. So I'm really happy because to me this is the mating of two dinosaurs. And one of the dinosaurs knows that their future is in jeopardy, Bayer. So for those three reasons, the farmers are cutting back. The U.S. government will be less directly affected, and Bayer knows how to deal with GMO legislation for fair labeling, truth and labeling. I'm really ecstatic. Great. Well, Ronaldo, you sound downright optimistic. Um, let's take a little turn here and talk about what exactly is going on in the contest between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton for the presidency. Well, I, well, I think, first of all, I would phrase it differently. I don't think it's a contest between Hillary and Donald anymore. I used to think that. I've actually come to be, appreciate what Donald Trump is actually doing for us. Donald Trump is giving us a stark contrast. So to me, this election is less about Hillary and Donald than it is about the nature of the, human, of the American people. 
uh, are we going to revert to a, a, a racial past where Jim Crow laws were the, the rule? Um, and I know that a lot of angry white men wish we would because they used to have black people to look down on. Uh, I, I think that um, are we going to go back to a are we going to go back to where we were um, basically um, burning the tenements of Irish and Italians in New York because we didn't want any more immigration, or are we going to continue to be uh, the country best symbolized by the, the, the Statue of Liberty? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I've never lost. I've always memorized those words in the base of the statue. You know, uh, um, basically, bring me, bring me your tired. You're poor, you're downtrodden, you're wretched masses yearning to be breathe free. These, the tempest tossed, serve up to me. I light my lamp beside the golden door. I mean, that's what's at the base of the of the, of the New York Statue of Liberty. And as I think you know, I know you know, Matt. I, I, so I was really honored. I got a, an award this year from Ellis Island Statue of Liberty because uh, being an immigrant, I've given back sort of a lifetime achievement award. And although I had a chance to get it earlier, I never did. But this year I wanted to do it because I felt the the anti-immigrant rhetoric of Trump was something that just antithetical to what the United States said. But we're all immigrants, except for those poor people who were here before all of us got here, and those people we did genocide with. They were called the Native Americans. So everybody else is an immigrant. And we built a country that embraced immigrants. I mean, example, the reason we don't have more terrorist, mass terrorist events like 9-11 is because we did a better job of integrating, up until recently, the Muslim community into, in America than any other nation. So when you integrate them, then Muslims will tell the government, hey, you got a bad apple over here, check them out. That's how we've been able to stop these. All these, virtually all of the plots we have stopped resulted because some Muslims stood up and said, hey, that's not, that's not good, we'll pay the price if this idiot does what he's thinking of doing. So our ability to assimilate any religion, every religion, our ability to assimilate any culture, every culture, our ability to assimilate every um, racial ethnicity, all, and our ability to assimilate women. So are we going to be, are we going to, there's a lot of white men who would like to get women pregnant and put them in the kitchen. And there are a lot of um, white men who don't want Mexicans in the country, even though I don't know who they expect is going to clean their toilets uh, or pick the crops in their fields. So I believe there is a, uh, a classic clash here between yeah. who we are as Americans, what's, what is the, the angels of our nature? Who are we as a people? And if the answer is that we're fraudulent, misogynistic, racist, sexist, basically criminal mentality, uh, and I'll go one step further because it came from the guy who wrote the book with Trump, The Art of the Deal, um, it seems to me we are looking at, are we willing to elect someone who is literally by definition, a sociopath. Now, that takes it away from Clinton and Trump for me. It's sure. like, this is not a lecture of In fact, you know, I'm very embarrassed for Colin Powell. Here he was on the Today Show, CBS Morning News, on Monday or Tuesday of last week, talking about how he hadn't made up his mind yet about Trump because he wanted to see the first debate. And then three or four days later, when his, his emails are hacked, and it turns out he calls him unfit for office. He calls him an international embarrassment. He calls him a complete disaster in eight different ways and basically says, this would be crazy to have this guy. Well, if he knows that, why didn't he say that on the CBS News in a milder form? Yeah. Why didn't he say, you know, I really can't go along with it. I really respect the 100 generals and securities professionals who endorsed 
Clinton. Because at least it shows courage. Like, this is, t- we, we must rise above our party affiliations in yeah. this election. This is not about Democrats or Republicans. This is about insanity in the form of Donald Trump. Now, I'm going to make a prediction. If Donald Trump somehow is elected president of the United States, Wall Street will collapse within 60 days. The economy will collapse within 90. There will be violence in the country. And eventually he will be brought up by impeachment by his own Republicans. I don't know whether we'll get him out of office on time to be able to save the country. If, on the other hand, Hillary's elected, you're going to see a 20% jump in the economy, at least a 10 to 15% jump in the stock market. You're going to see real wages go up by at least 3 to 4% again next year. And you're going to see some violence because what, what, what Trump has done is he's, he's stirred these latent homophobic, racist, sexist, misogynist attitudes and given basically the alt-right permission to be racist, sexist, misogynistic white Aryans that they are. And they made very clear, they did a press conference this week in Washington where they said, look, we're now, you know, we got got our own candidate. He's given us legitimacy. That that, that the alt-right, which is, you know, code for skinheads and Nazis, neo-Nazis. Digital neo-Nazis too, yeah. Digital neo-Nazis. It's the hipster Nazis. Those guys, primarily their guys, are now legitimate because of Trump. And when they don't win, which I don't think they will win the election, by the way, when they don't win it, it's going to be very ugly. When he says to people, let the Second Amendment people deal with Hillary if she gets elected, that's, a, that's not even a veiled threat. No, that's not even a dog whistle. That's a bullhorn. That's a bullhorn. When he says, um, you know, if she doesn't like guns, well, let's take all of her Secret Service guns away from her and see how she likes that, meaning someone will kill her, which they would. There's no question that's a prediction of an assassination. So, you know, it's like, by the way, if if people have not seen it, go to YouTube. Please watch the 176 questions by Keith Olbermann. What he does is he makes the case, I think compellingly so, that because so much of what Trump does is so outrageous, it's like we forget the last outrageous thing because the next thing's there. But what Keith did is he went back and listed all 176 and it's profoundly terrifying. I mean, that, that this would be a serious candidate. And, and the Republicans now know they, they tried to stop it and couldn't. I, I actually respect the Romney and, and, and some of the other Republicans, the Bush family, who said, you know what? Even if we're Republicans, we can't go that far. Yeah. And so that, to me, is what we need to do. Even if you're a Democrat, it's not the issue. The issue are, is really quite simply this. Are we going to elect someone who's extremely qualified for the job, who is devoted her life, entire life, to helping other people, beginning with her work in the 60s as a white, suburbanite, Chicago Republican woman who went to the South because she heard one speech in Chicago by Martin Luther King and who spent the rest of her life working to help improve the, the, the plight of black people and who has been a lifelong friend of Marion Wright Edelman who started the Save the Children uh, movement. I mean, you know, it's like this is a woman who has extraordinary competence. So I, I, I want to say for the record, uh, I don't normally like to talk about my political views directly, but i got to tell you, I am not like picking Hillary because she's the, the, the better of two bad options. I'm wildly enthusiastic about Hillary as president. And I'm particularly enthusiastic with the progressive agenda that I believe Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders will help her execute. And I'm particularly excited by the fact that Republicans are going to have to go along with some of it which is just going to accelerate us and take us out of this funk 
where people are just so sad and crazy. Yeah. And then last but not least, and I, and I, we should talk about it for a second at some point, I really am hoping that more and more people will take our free service, the Optimist Daily, because there's nothing like starting your day with five positive solutions that you didn't know existed to help turn around the negativity. It's fear. Trump is trading off of fear and anger and hostility and division and divisiveness. And isolation. And isolation. And patriarchy. And patriarchy. And and apart from that, he's got his good buddy Vladimir Putin, who just this morning re-endorsed him, uh, which I think is all by itself a, a comment. And, yeah. and the fact that he didn't know that Crimea had been invaded already, that he didn't know he's already... Invaded. He didn't, know what Brexit, he didn't know what Brexit was a few weeks ago. He doesn't know what Brexit was. But by the way, Brexit. Oh, I want to talk about Brexit for a second. Can I get two seconds? Yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's go ahead and go to Brexit quickly then if it, if it dovetails with this. I think that's a good idea. Well, I just want to say that um, Mark Carney, who's the head of the Bank of England, Canadian, by the way, first Canadian to serve in that capacity, did a brilliant job in the day after Brexit. He was prepared for it. He flooded the market with credit. Uh, both in terms of cash and the banking system, and he flooded it with a lot of bonds. And he really stabilized UK coming out of what was, look, they were in free fall. And their economy took a 12% hit. Um, and, and it's now stabilized and even come back up off that 12% floor. Uh, that was, I mean, the market 12%. Um, the likelihood is, because Brexit hasn't happened yet, right. it's been voted on. Uh, he's running out of bullets. So England's about to deal with some serious trouble. He can't, he can't continue to stretch the Band-Aid, or the, the, the um, rubber band. Uh, I think on the good side of this, uh, May, the new prime minister who replaced Cameron, has basically telegraphed this, that, that she's done with austerity, which is smart, way past time. Angela Merkel, who is the queen of austerity, who's forced all of Europe into austerity, uh, is losing her political base and will not be able to enforce austerity any longer. The Italians have already said they're not going to play because they can't. If they continue with this austerity thing, they'll lose their banking system. Um, and the Greeks, of course, have said this is like, you, 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 you punished us for you know, all these years and you can't keep doing it. There's no more to give. You've got to let us rebuild the economy. So the end of austerity is going to be very good for Europe. It's going to start happening by the first quarter of next year. Well, it's already starting to happen, but you can start to feel the effects by the first quarter of next year. And that, too, will help buoy, raise up the U.S. economy. So let's combine those two factors, right? So we really are at a choice point because, like you're saying, the, the real economy in the U.S. is just starting to really rebound that we saw from those wage numbers. Uh, Europe is on the verge of really turning around their kind of regional And recession. Brexit is what triggered it. And Brexit triggered it, and we look like we're getting out of austerity over there. Yeah, England's uh, going to pay the penalty for Brexit, but England, Europe's going to benefit. But this this Trump election could really throw a wrench in the global economy. And one of the pieces we saw also, Ronaldo, was from the Newsweek article that came out from Kurt Eichenwald, I think is his yeah, name. Yeah, yeah, Eichenwald. About by the way, but he's a, just a, that's an interesting observation. So he wrote it in Newsweek, which has been going down in circulation. It's been in all kinds of financial trouble. The reason he could afford to do that is because he also writes for Vanity Fair. Mm. And so he'd started to do a small piece of vanity fair, and then he realized, oh, my God, I got a boa constrictor here. This isn't a little garden snake. So let's unravel it a little bit because I think that people heard the, the, the idea of this piece that came out. And what it did is it essentially – Kurt did a massive investigation into all the things he could find out about about 15 of the biggest uh, – 
conflicts of interest that Trump has as a business person going into the highest office in the land. Um, what were your takeaways and how do you explain kind of this massive network of business ties to people who aren't familiar with how you know the global corporate oligopoly works? Yeah, and, and when we get to the end of the hour, I want to spend the last two minutes talking about what I think was in Trump's mind up until two weeks ago when the, when the polls tightened. Because it, it ties to this very issue. Sure. How can he make more money out of this run for the presidency? Because clearly he's been paying himself and his entities a lot of money out of money he raised from people. Right. He's been paying maximum rents at Trump Tower. He's been paying his airplanes been paid for forever. I mean, he's he's got his kids on payrolls. I mean, it's, it's amazing how much he's soaked already out of his own campaign. Um, the issue, and it's crystal clear, uh, Eichenwald uh, Wald went and found 500 separate Trump subsidiaries. Now, just think of the myriad of relationships that are all over the globe, 500 separate entities. And if they're not direct subsidiaries, they're related to subsidiaries. In other words, they're, they're, they're joint venture type things. He picked 15 just to see, because you can't, I mean, 500 like, would take a lifetime, right? And the only person who probably knows What's really going on in all 500 is not even one of the Trumps. It's a, it's a, it's a law in an accounting office somewhere in New York that's keeping track of all this stuff. <laughs> um, but what Trump knows is who he made the deals with. So in India, tracking that one down, where he just threw up a new uh, building. And by the way, you know, Trump has not built a building that I'm aware of since 2008. What he does is he licenses his name. So he gets revenues without any expense or risk. That's how he's going to avoid going broke again. He might get caught, but it's another longer story. The issue is this. When you throw up a building in Pune, India, for example, and the guy you throw it up with is, is, is believed to be the owner of a bank that launders Iranian money illegally, it's a flag you shouldn't have done that deal. And if you're the president of the United States, what do you do? Turn on the guy who's laundering the money for the Iranians just because you're president? No, because it's bringing you money. Um, the thing he did in Azerbaijan, same thing. Um, I mean, it's, it, it, what he's been doing in Russia okay, is all the same thing. So what I would urge people to do... And so, by the, so he's been making deals with people who are connected to criminality. Criminals and people in political power in countries that could hurt us, where he has a conflict. His interest in Russia and what the oligarchs are do, doing for him there and will continue for him is a direct conflict of interest if Russia is a serious threat to us, which I think all Americans believe it is. Okay, but let me, let me just conclude by saying this. I had the happy experience uh, recently where I went out and I tried to buy that Newsweek article in three separate newsstands. They were all sold out. I don't know if you can even get that article anymore. So go online, folks, and read it. I could not summarize an article that long, that effectively. But when you do, look for the connection in Turkey, look for the one in Azerbaijan, look for the one in India. I can list a few others, but those are the ones you want to look at because they're examples of the kinds of conflict of interest. Now, Yeah, and I also want to mention the one in Libya. Libya, oh. Because Libya was an example of his kind of, what this guy was thinking in 2008 when he wanted to get into bed with Muammar Gaddafi. In fact, he wanted Muammar to take his house in the Hamptons and use it. Rent it from him. Rent it from him. <laughs> it, went, it went so far that the town in, in Westchester County Yeah had to say that he couldn't come, right? I mean, that was, yeah. that's what happened. Is the town of Bedford yeah. forbade the dictator from staying. The right. town rose up against Trump. Yeah. But he was going to do it otherwise. Oh, yeah. No, he was there. And and this is a guy who's connected to the to the Lockerbie bombing. Yeah, and, and this is a guy who basically had a charity that he hasn't donated a penny to in 2000, since 2008. He hasn't put a penny Trump, of his own yeah. money, Trump. 
into the Trump Foundation, which then buys favor with other people and bribes sitting attorneys generals like Bondi in the state of Florida. Bondi. Yeah, Bondi. You know, I mean, you, you can't look. You're investigating. It was well known she was investigating. People in her office were, were investigating. It was, it was actually published that Florida and New York were the two states that had the most exposure. He writes a $25,000 check from a trust of charity, which it wasn't even his money because he got it from a third party. Five million of which came from the guy who built the wrestling organization. Man, Vince Mann put five million bucks in for Trump to have some spending money. One wonders what that deal was about. What did Mann get for his five million? But it doesn't matter. It wasn't Trump's money. And he takes 25000 and he sends it to Bondi when she, her, she's deciding whether or not to, 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 to launch an investigation and to indict Trump University, which I think he is going to get indicted for in New York. Okay, here's the best part. Number one, if you're in that, if you're a prosecutor, you're not allowed to take $25,000 whether you're investigating people or not, number one. Number two, if you're investigating them, it is clearly a bribe. Number three, his office said, oh, it was a mistake. They confused the name All In For Justice, which is their campaign theme, with a charity in Utah, which no one's ever discovered, by the way. No one's ever found the charity in Utah with a confusingly similar name. But here's the best part. Let's say the accounting department really did screw up and confuse it with some charity in Idaho we can't find. How come the check got sent to Florida? Mm-hmm. Okay? Check got sent to Florida, not to Idaho. So it's clear he's lying. I mean, the guy lies constantly. constantly. So it's hard to pick one and go, wow. That's why I say it's really, he's doing us a favor. He's making it so clear what the choice is. And I'm lucky. I'm Canadian. I got a fallback. I feel sorry for you guys down here south of the 48th parallel. <laughs> anyway. Um, well, one more thing on that on the Trump situation. because, And then we'll wrap up. Because it's so obvious that this man is himself a criminal and a liar. Yes, and a and, and without a, question, and a man who would sell his country down the river and wouldn't even want a high price. And and the piece that stands out the most for me, and what I bring it back to all the time in any conversation about this, is climate change. Because he stands for destroying the, the progress we've made Earth. on climate change, which will in turn destroy the planet. In well, planet will be fine. Well, it's the people destroy civilization. Civilization who live here <laughs> in fifty years or less. Less. Uh, and that I would say thirty-five years or less. That that and you can hold me to that, folks. Well, in thirty-five years, I hope I get a chance to hold you to that. So or less, yeah, exactly. Well, here's the thing: we're not going to go on that path. I refuse. Okay. Yeah. And Hillary Clinton understands the gravity of the situation. I believe. Correct. And she sees an opportunity here to change the course of history. She does. And I think she, you know, from your insight into her campaign, and from what I can tell from her rhetoric, and from Bernie Sanders' endorsement of her. They, everyone is saying, look, Hillary gets it on climate change, but Trump will be the end of the U.S.'s involvement in the climate change regime and our efforts to stop climate change. So on that issue alone, it is black and white what the choice is. And doing anything other than doing everything you can to stop Trump is but, irresponsible. But you know what? I, you know, he actually, he's going to have one benefit. He's gonna have, there's one way he's going to help climate change. He's, he's going to destroy the U.S. economy within 90 days. Which means we'll say be, more about that. What does we, that look we like? We won't be we won't be sucking up as much oil. <laughs> what does that look like? Why? Why? What triggers? That's that? why the, there's there's no credible business organization, including the Chamber of Commerce, which has been Republican since it was invented, is in favor of Donald Trump. Everybody in business knows this guy's not a businessman. He's a reality TV star who's just figured out a way to make tens of billions of dollars at our expense. So uh, he's a mobbed up reality TV star. Yeah, with yeah. Connections through 
the oligarchs in Russia. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and Putin. I mean, it's just crazy. So, you know, there's a reason why Putin wants him elected. It's very much in Putin's interest. Yeah. You know, here's a guy who says he wants to basically take NATO apart. He says he doesn't want to defend people against Russian incursion. I mean, this is insane. So you can't start this conversation and it's irrational. In fact, it's every person's duty listening to the show, not just to vote. That's easy. Not just to contribute. That's easy, even if it's only five bucks. Everybody listening, you have a duty. You owe it to yourselves, your children, and your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews, whoever you care about. This is everything that's important about America on the line, and it's, it could not be in clear base bass relief. Yeah. So you have a duty now, folks. You, you don't have the option. You don't have the option of not voting. And you have the duty to go figure out what can you do this is one of those clarion call moments where it's like the country is under attack by the alt-right. This is a guy, remember, who kept a book of Hitler's speeches for three years at his bedside stable. You, table. You mean he never read it? I think he did. This is a demagogue. This is a guy who will do anything for personal power, and when he gets it, is capable of anything to keep it. So there's no question that the you said, what does it look like for the economy to spin out of control? I'll tell you what it looks like. First, it's the stock market crash. That'll be the first place. And what that's going to do is it's going to crater the finance system, which is already on shaky legs. And, you know, we should do a whole show, Matt. The finance system in this country, globally, is on really thin legs right now. And the advent of the first blockchain financial alternative to banking, i.e., what do you call it? Bitcoin? Yeah, Bitcoin. Which is not a good thing. Please don't buy Bitcoin, folks. That's a very bad... As my friend Hazel says, it's a radioactive dark hole. But the, the technology behind Bitcoin is actually superlative and will be deployed. It cannot be stopped. It's like an idea whose time has come. And you're going to see national governments involved increasingly, and you're going to see it regulated. So blockchain companies are the future. Historical banks, which, we, which haven't changed in three, 400 years, way of the white whale. It ain't going to happen anymore. So we need to know that when you crater the stock market, which we will, and we saw what happened in 2008 when the financial system had a shock. This is bigger than a shock. This is a crater. This is like there ain't going to be nothing left to sweep up. So at that point, that's why I said gold earlier, right? At that point, U.S. currency will plummet. All global currencies will plummet. Every single trading partner, including China, will go into free fall. You're going to see an enormous amount of violence. You're going to see people scrambling to find a way Put, in, put food on the table. The opposite is where Bernie and, and Hillary are, which is that no person, which I firmly believe is a moral matter, nobody who works 40 hours a week should be below a poverty line. Right. It's wrong. It's just flat wrong. It's immoral. So we, we have to lift everybody above the poverty line who's got a job, no matter what their job is, and that will be the best thing we can do for shareholders as well. So uh, I'm, I'm just, if you want me, you, want, you really want me to to delineate more of what's going to look like. No, I think this, that's good. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's worse. Yeah, no, and and you know my message is, and Ronaldo, you know, I've been saying this for a while now since the uh, primary really wrapped up. To all my millennial friends who think that it's cool or important or somehow even relevant to either vote for a third party or sit this one out at the top of the ticket, it's immoral. You're you're incorrect. And I'm happy to go through the litany of reasons, but the bottom line is that not voting is not an option. Voting for a third party is wasting a vote, and it's, it's, it equals half a vote for Trump. Right. 
And and the only real option morally is to vote for Hillary Clinton and then hold her accountable on the refu- on the issues that you care about in the future. Yeah, and, and 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 get Hillary in and keep the pressure up with Bernie and Elizabeth. It's perfect. It's the perfect way to do yeah. it. And you know, do I like everything Hillary stands for? Heck, no. I don't like everything Obama stands for. But I really like Obama. Yeah. I think he's got his heart in the right place. He's smart. He's done a remarkable job with the economy. And actually, Hillary, Hillary coming in could be an advantage. To, it will be an advantage to the progressive movement because unlike what happened when Obama was elected, the progressives aren't going to just unilaterally disarm and say, okay, this we did our job. Obama's in. Now go. he can go govern and we'll go back to doing whatever we were doing before. With Hillary, there's going to actually be someone to push and a reason to push. And, and I, to my millennial friends who are thinking about voting for Gary Johnson, I mean, it's just a joke. Okay. Yes, he's right on a couple things, but by the way, he doesn't know what Aleppo was. I mean, it's shocking. can you believe he didn't know what Aleppo was, and he's running for president of the United States? I mean, not everyone knows what Aleppo is, but, but a president, but candidate someone should. who's going to be a presidential candidate, should know the epicenter of the Syrian crisis, which yeah. is the dominant story in the Middle East, which is the dominant national uh, international story for the last what five years? Repeat three, no, that. Three that years. was a good litany. Like, the dominant city. In the dominant crisis, in the dominant country of crisis, Syria. In the dominant region of crisis. In the dominant region of crisis is Aleppo. To not know that and run for president of the United States is absolutely unconscionable. It means you're unqualified. He knows he's not going to win. He's making a point, and a bunch of privileged white, mostly males, are going to vote for him. And a lot of young people. I'm seeing the polls, and it's not good. So if you have a question about Gary Johnson or any third party or not voting— Please write into this show at info at worldbusiness.org and we'll help, uh, we'll talk through that. The other piece, and the last thing I want to talk about about this election is. Uh, and by the way, it's okay to say the reason you're voting for Hillary is because you're so against Trump. Yeah, that's why I'm voting for her. If you know what? That's fine with me. Whatever the reason, but get your butt off the for Hillary. Get, it, get that vote because if we got Hillary, we got a chance. Yeah. In fact, we have more chance. I think the Hillary. Bernie Elizabeth Warren combination is going to propel this country to a whole new level of I think so too. humanity and, 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 and financial success for the middle class, which will then take the anger out of the voting pattern. Right. And we won't be going back to Jim Crow. I mean we're on so we're on the verge of a breakthrough, right? But the other thing I was gonna say is that a lot of people are saying, Oh, I'm in a swing state, it doesn't matter. I mean, sorry, I'm not in a swing state, it doesn't matter, I can vote for whoever sorry. I want. Here's the problem with that logic. This election, if it stays this close, could come down to the contest and the kind of thing we saw in Florida in 2000, except this time it could be in multiple states or it could be in a different state. It could be go all the way to the Supreme Court. And the national vote count is going to matter in that case. Your vote will count, maybe not specifically in the Electoral College, but as a bellwether for where the country is, there has to be a strong vote in favor of the candidate the Supreme, you want. current Supreme Court of the United States, which has got four, well, yeah, I would say th- three ideologue right-wingers, one very right-wing leaning, one center-right leaning, one left leaning, one left, and one center-left leaning judge, okay? In that configuration, which is very conservative court, if they are faced with another Gore v. Bush, Bush v. Gore, they're going to look at whether or not the popular vote went down. Yes. And they're going to, so you're going to influence what the Supreme Court of the United States does if it's forced to have to decide what the shenanigans are. You know, we know there's going to be litigation because Trump's already said, I'm being cheated out of the election. 
And if it comes down to Anthony Kennedy, you want to make sure he has a strong argument for why he should actually vote with the Constitution That's instead right. of against it. That's right. Exactly right. And so, so I just want to, sh- I want to say again, anybody who does not work their tush off to get Hillary elected is basically turning the country over to the worst of our base nature, to, to the reflection of what our dark shadow is about. And it is scary that people be willing to dance with that thought, let alone that they would actually move in that direction. Yeah. Uh, the good news, by the way, is, you know, even Nate Silver, who's been extremely conservative lately on the election, still says that Hillary's got about a 60% chance of winning. So for those of you who think that's a good number, and I do because 60 is better than 45, what we got to do is make that 60 real and hopefully make that 60 a big win. I'd like to see her just clean his clock. Yeah. I'd like to see people go in the voting booth and go, do I really want a, this guy, this sociopath, to be president? Or am I going to say, you know what, I don't like everything about Hillary, but at the end of the day, that's where the country's best interests are served. So that, that Nate Silver website is 538.com, all spelled out, 538.com. One of my favorites for predicting uh, outcomes. They've got great graphs and charts on all of this. And yes, the bottom line is right now it's looking like Nevada, Colorado, New Hampshire, Pennsylvania are the keys yeah. to victory. Yeah. Okay, so now let's just take my last two minutes here. So what was Trump thinking till two weeks ago? Yes. Here's what he was thinking. He was thinking that he was building his brand. Remember, the only thing he sells, he licenses the name Trump. So the bigger the brand, the more money he makes. So he was running on other people's money, paying for his airplane, paying for Trump Tower, paying for his kids, on basically people he thinks are suckers. Because they're sending him, you know, like he got $95 million in July, he got $50 million more in August. And so what he was thinking is he, he, he was going to completely rebuild the cash coffers and the power of the Trump organization. And he was going to have 20 million people who supported him come hip, hook or crook at the end. But that's what he was thinking until a month ago. A month ago, he had a new thought. What if he could get Roger Ailes and the Breitbart team, which now controls his campaign. It's all controlled by the same guy that, that runs Breitbart. Because um, you got three Breitbart people in there, right? you got the uh, you got Dannon, whatever his name is, the, 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 the campaign ideologue. you got Kelly Moore, who's the Kelly, Kellyanne, who's the... Uh, manager who's doing a brilliant job of doublespeak. I mean, she does doublespeak better than Trump. It's amazing. It's amazing. And then the third one is the uh, assistant campaign guy that came from Breitbart. So you got all these people paid by the same rich man and his wife who fund Breitbart. But what's really going on is Roger Ailes. Roger Ailes wants to prove that he was the guy that built Fox, not Murdoch. He's smarter than Fox. At the end of this election, my prediction is when Trump is not president, he will decide to take down Fox. He will start the Trump network. It will siphon off the 20 million people that like him from Fox, thereby hollowing out Fox. That'll destroy the ad base at Fox. Fox will be gone within five years or less. Gone within five years or less. That's what's going on. Roger Ailes is planning the whole thing as we speak. And the way Ailes looks at it, He's sort of hoping Trump loses because as the advisor to Trump, he can make way more money if Trump loses than if he wins. And he gets to build a new network that will replace Fox. That's the real game that was happening. Now, two weeks ago that changed. Two weeks ago when the the polls started tightening, Trump began believing, well, maybe I really can be president, which is even a bigger payday than I thought. It's an unlimited payday with his morals or lack thereof. So now I think he's actually trying to win the election. And that's why he's staying on message. 
before he was off message because he was feeding the base. He wanted to feed the base because that's who Roger told him to take with him after the election. Now he's trying to win. He actually sort of took back the birther thing, which right. he's the father of the birther movement. Right. I think it's fascinating. I think that's an indicator. Yeah, the, the actual walking back of the claim that the president wasn't born in the United States as one of the the only and biggest proponents of that theory back in 2011 and until to yesterday or two days ago, you know, that was the indicator that he's now actually trying to win. Yeah, yeah. and he, he actually has been caught every year since Obama produced his birth certificate in 2008, I believe it was. So every, was it 2008? I think it was. So uh, 10? Something like that. 12, whatever. 2012 know. maybe it was. But anyway, the point is, every year since oh, then. That's right, it was after that. Yeah. yeah, 12. Every year since then, he's claimed that he wasn't sure when he was born in the country. So for him to say two things that were complete lies, well, one, you know, I mean, I put an end to it because Hillary started it, which is a total <laughs> fabrication and lie. Total. There's not even a scintilla of truth to that. The so-called memo doesn't even talk about where he was born. It talks about his his um, values and whether or not he has values that are akin to what the great Midwestern... And she didn't write it. It was stupid Mark Penn. Yeah, and 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 she didn't adopt it. She didn't adopt it. And she it said was, no to and, that. And it wasn't about his birth. Right. It was about his... Does, does he have Indonesian and Hawaiian values as opposed to Indiana values? That's what the memo was about. And, that, and there is no reference to the word where he was born. Nothing. Not one word on that. And for the Trump organization to say, well, see, she started it and we put an end to it. No, that's not true. That's a complete lie. And, 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 and that's what troubles me. It's like, please, America, as you're listening, you can't let this happen. No. You can't. It, this, is, this is beyond anything acceptable. Forget reasonable. It's beyond acceptable. You know, it, and I will make the comparison because he is alt-right. He's, he he's prides himself on being the head of the alt-right. The Breitbart movement that runs his campaign prides itself repeatedly on being the home of the alt-right. And alt-right is code for white supremacist. That's what it's code for. Yeah. Now, if that's the, the white supremacists are taking over America and you don't do anything about it, I want to know what you would have done in 1936 in Germany. Okay? Right. You, you, you cannot let white supremacists take over America. I'm sorry. And you can't let a guy who's a con artist take over America. He's conning the American people. And we are smarter than that, even with all the lead poisoning we've sustained in over the years. <laughs> well, with that, Ronaldo, I want to... Go ahead and see if you have any closing thoughts you want to add. I think we're out of time. I'd love to. I mean, that's that. Mike, that's my closing thought. Yeah. This is. I am morally outraged. I'm. I'm as an economist and as a business person. I'm extraordinarily concerned about the potential of a Trump presidency. Not potential of the reality of a Trump presidency. It's just like I cannot let it in. But I actually think it's gotten to the point now where I'm telling people: if you don't work your fanny off to make sure Trump doesn't get in there to help Hillary to tell your friends, this is it. You folks, this is 1936, and these are racists, and they want to take over our country, and you can't let them, or we're not the people we think we are. So with that, on behalf of the World Business Academy, thank you for joining us, and please come to our website at worldbusiness.org to connect with us in between shows. Write to us at info at worldbusiness.org. And until next time, uh, good night and good luck. Thanks, Rolo. Thank you.